0: In the name of Jesus, our risen and victorious Lord, my dear sisters and brothers in Christ. They are calling it the greatest discovery since the Titanic. Did you hear about this? It happened earlier last month when after it had sunk nearly 107 years ago, the ship Endurance was finally found at the bottom of Weddell Sea, at a depth of some 10,000 feet. The Endurance was a ship that belonged to a man, an explorer named Sir Ernest Shackleton. And in 1900, he had this great idea that he was finally going to be the one who would explore arguably the last unexplored place on earth, Antarctica. Now, there's a lot of good reasons why even in 1900, Antarctica was still largely unknown. In order to get there, you had to sail through the South Seas, which are known to be some of, if not the most treacherous waters in the entire world. It's murderously cold. It's desolate and barren. It's a place of ice and darkness and death at the very bottom of the world. But going to places where no one else will is what explorers do. And so, legend has it, that Shackleton put an ad in the newspaper trying to round up for him a crew to go on his journey with him. And this is supposedly what the ad in the paper said. Men wanted for a hazardous journey. Low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return, doubtful. Honor and recognition in the unlikely event of success. You put an ad out like that, and who in their right mind expects anyone to respond to it? But 27 men did. And in 1914, Ernest Shackleton and his crew set out from port in Norway. So, as the endurance got closer to the shore of Antarctica, Their ship started to slow down until it came to a complete stop. It was frozen into the ice pack. There was literally nothing they could do but wait. Wait until spring and hopefully, maybe when the ice starts to melt, it will loosen their ship free and they would be able to turn around and go home. But when spring came and the ice loosened, it didn't let go of the ship, it crushed it. And there, Ernest Shackleton and his 27 men stood as they slowly watched the Endurance sink 10,000 feet to the bottom of the Southern Ocean. So they walked across the ice dragging their supplies and three little lifeboats until they came to this rocky little outcrop called Elephant Island. And when they walked onto the shores of Elephant Island, it was the first time that those men had their feet touched dry land in 497 days. It must have seemed like a victory. And yet they were still in the middle of nowhere. 800 miles from the next closest human being, their supplies were running short, and no one was coming to rescue them. And so Ernest Shackleton came up with a plan. The plan was that he would take one of those lifeboats, and he would go get help, and then he would come back. And while that sounds like a very nice and heroic thing to do, you have to remember what this was going to require. It was going to require this man to paddle a lifeboat 800 miles through some of the most treacherous waters in the world, water that just sunk their massive ship. Not only that, he was going to have to do it through a hurricane that had just sunk a five-ton vessel. You see, this was a good option, if it's your only option. I mean, can you imagine the looks on the faces of the crew? Their hearts sinking faster than the endurance as they watched Shackleton's little boat go up and over the horizon. Hope must have been a very difficult thing for them to hang on to. When they saw their captain leave and they were left behind. On that first Easter morning in Jerusalem, there was another lonely group of survivors whose leader went over the horizon, so to speak, and left them feeling abandoned and alone. Not many of them had the guts to witness it personally, but they all knew it had happened. Their teacher was crucified. Oh, he had so captivated their hearts and their minds. They had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. But now he was gone. His body was put into a grave, and the mouth of that tomb was shut up with a stone that might as well have been a mountain. And standing there in the dark of Jerusalem... They were an awful lot like those men on Elephant Island as they felt death creeping closer to them too. That's a scary and a hopeless place to be, isn't it? Or how about those women who got up early that first Easter morning and walked that long, dark road in Jerusalem? I can't imagine they wanted to get up and go anoint the dead body of their Lord. But with arms full of spices and hearts full of disappointment, they go to do love's last promise. Jesus had made such huge promises to them. He promised that He was the Son of God, that He alone was the way, the truth, and the life. And worst of all, they believed Him. But now he was dead. And along with him were all of his promises. I mean, you can almost feel the emptiness in their hearts with every step they take, can't you? And then they got to the tomb, and everything was wrong. The soldiers who were supposed to be there guarding the tomb were gone. And that mountain of a stone was rolled away. They looked inside and no one was there. It would be like if you went to the cemetery to pay your respects to a loved one and their grave was dug up and the casket was empty. Now instead of seeing Jesus, instead of seeing the dead body they were expecting to find, they saw two angels. Two angels who preached arguably the greatest sermon this world has ever heard. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen just as he said. A sermon that began to restore hope in their hearts. Maybe, just maybe, those women went looking for a man they thought died as a poor victim of Jewish jealousy and Roman injustice, they went looking for someone who they didn't have a whole lot of hope left in anymore. But the angels told them to hope in everything that Jesus had promised, because Jesus came back, just as he said. The angel lifted their hearts and their eyes and pointed them to the place where a dead Jesus should have been but was not. They came with empty hearts, but they left with growing hope. They came there looking for disappointment, but they left with the thoughts of victory. They came there looking for a dead man, but they found what you and I now know Christ is risen. risen So, what are you looking for? from Jesus. You got up early this morning and of all the places you could have been, you came here. What is it that you are hoping to find? You know, I I ask that question to a lot of people and i got to be honest with you. The things that people are looking for out of Jesus these days, it's not enough. I I ask people, what, what are you hoping to get out of this? What are you hoping to find in Jesus? And they say things like, well, I'm hoping that Jesus inspires me. I'm hoping that he can teach me how to live a good life, how to be a a nicer person. Maybe he can help me kick some of my bad habits. Maybe he can fix my marriage or fix my kids. I'm just hoping that he can help improve my life in some small way. And friends, i got to tell you, if that is all you're looking for from Jesus, then you have set the bar way, way too low. You see, all of those things would be fine to look for from Jesus if Jesus were only what so many people think. If he were just a really, really good man, a good teacher who died so long ago. But he isn't. Jesus came back. Jesus' grave is empty, and that changes everything. It means that He was not just a man, that He was not just a good teacher, but that He was exactly who He said He is. Jesus is the Son of God who came back from the dead. He's not just some ancient teacher of morality. He's not just some inspirational speaker who gave you a couple good one-liners. No, Jesus is your sin-bearer. He's your hope-instiller. He is your death-defeater. He is your new-life-giver. Friends, today is the festival of the resurrection of our Lord. And I stand here before you today because I am convinced that Jesus died, but He did not stay dead. He came back, and that changes everything. It changes our hopes and our dreams, our perspective and our priorities. It even changes the way we grieve. No, it doesn't mean that as Christians, we don't cry. It doesn't mean that we don't get sad. We do all of those things. But we don't do them, because death is just this natural part of the circle of life. We don't do them because death is final. Because death wins. We don't do it because death gets the final word and we have nothing left to say. No, we grieve because we know that this, death, is not the way it's supposed to be. And one day, it won't be. I mean, what other religion teaches you to not accept death, but instead to mock it? That's what the Apostle Paul was doing in those words in 1 Corinthians 15. Death does its worst to Jesus, and yet Jesus gets the final word. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? It's gone. It's dead. Because Jesus lives. The Son of God took all of our guilt and all of our sin, and he went on the rescue mission the likes of which this world has never seen. He took all of it, and he went over the horizon, suffering hell itself, because it was the only way possible for you and me to be saved. Like the men standing there on the shores of Elephant Island, we put all of our hope on this one man, Jesus Christ, to fight our battle with sin and death, and he did it. He went into that battle that cost him his life. But he left you and me with a promise. I will come back. And he did. And on Easter morning, the world saw that Christ keeps his promises. God is alive, and your sin, all of your sin is forgiven, forgotten forever. Jesus lives and death is dead, our Savior came back. He came back to save us. He came back to take us home so that when you are scared, so that when you are standing in that hopeless and desolate place, when it is your turn to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you can say with all the confidence in the world, Lord, Thou art with me. And I fear no evil, Lord, because You know the way through the way to life beyond the grave, the way to the life you've always wanted but never fully realized, a life that has no end. You know, for those men standing there on Elephant Island, days turned into weeks and weeks turned into months and then one day, the man who was on lookout duty saw it. He came back. Sir Ernest Shackleton somehow took a lifeboat, paddled 800 miles through the South Seas and a hurricane by the stars, and he came back. He came back to get his men. He loaded up all 27 of them and didn't lose a single one. Brothers and sisters, Jesus made the impossible journey for you. He took your sins, your guilt, your shame and your despair and he journeyed to death and hell and back again so that when he makes you a promise it's as good as done. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you see that not even death can separate you from God. Not even death can ruin what God has in store for you. Friends, we live in a new era. A new era that began that first Easter morning. It's an era where sin no longer convicts us, an era where Satan no longer condemns us, an era where death no longer contains us because our captain came back. Jesus lives, and because he lives, so do you, today and forever. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia and Amen.